Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will pick up the text in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. We are looking at this Toledoth that tells us what became of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And in the previous episode, we noticed that we started with Japheth, who logically is uh, last in the birth order. That's how he's been presented all along, and yet we started with him. So we observed the idea that the last is first in this and, and brought that up. But more importantly, that from Japheth, we have a lot of people of that we're not as familiar with that end up populating the ends of the earth. And that really helps us to understand how the, the world got populated so that we find people everywhere and still do to this day. And the real takeaway from all of that is that while they were able to survive and disperse because of the events that are going to happen in the chapter that follows, Uh, with Babel and the dispersion, uh, which we won't talk about right now, but we'll get there, (laughs) obviously, uh, when we get to chapter 11. But because they go and disperse and are able to create thriving economies and uh, civilizations, but it's a reminder to us that they are doing all of that apart from the Word of God and apart from a relationship with God, which coming to Jesus' day and in the time of the New Testament and then fast-forwarding to our day shows us the great need for the gospel, that truly we can lift our eyes up unto the fields and they are white for harvest uh, because the ends of the world need to know about Christ. It's not just enough that they know how to produce food and live and make clothing all at different levels and technology. Eternity is a long time. It's a very, very long time. And people really need to be ready for it. It's interesting that uh, just the other day I was doing some work and I was listening to a a talk show uh, on the radio, a radio talk show. And he's well known, uh, Jewish, conservative, and got a lot of great ideas, but is totally, totally wrong when it comes to eternal life and obviously denies the gospel, denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, uh, the one that his own scriptures uh, look to and, and forecast and predict. And he does not see Jesus as the fulfillment of scripture. But more importantly, he likes to ask a lot of thought-provoking questions, and this particular day he was talking about theodicy, which is the theological term for this conundrum that people have always tried to address regarding good and evil. If there is a good God, uh, and we believe that there is a good God, why does evil exist? If he is all good and all powerful, uh, then does he have a moral obligation to stop all wrongdoing? Well, we can see practically we know the answer to that because either there is a lot of wrongdoing, right? You look at the events of the Holocaust, you look at people dying from cancer, random things like that. Uh, Those things aren't stopped. So either A, he is not all powerful as the scripture says, or he's not all good, or 
he does not have an obligation to stop those things. Most people don't consider that last option even an option. They say, well, because these two are true, he must have to do that. And there are a lot of people who abandon their faith and walk away from God because of it. And he even said, and this is like I said, it's just fresh on my mind, that he doesn't have an answer for why there is suffering in the world. And he even leaned towards a popular or what was a popular position that is being espoused recently called open theism, which says basically that God doesn't know what's going to happen in the future and all he can do is react. And so therefore he is a compassionate God, but he can't stop those things. Uh, again, I disagree with that. Uh, I, and we're not going to solve the problem of theodicy in this as a way of an opening illustration necessarily. But the thing that popped into my head as I was listening to him talk and even listening to callers call in and, you know, give their own theories as to this, especially the, the majority of them that called in said that they had abandoned their faith in God, that they just couldn't, they couldn't believe in a God who could allow suffering was, uh, and especially with regard to him, his whole view of life is that he is going to live his life here to the fullest. And he just assumes, he takes for granted the idea that he is going to inherit eternal life. Not once does it cross his mind that there should, you know, there may be a, a paradigm, there may be a structure uh, for allowing et eternal life. Uh, on what basis? We have to ask the question, on what basis is God going to forgive your sin? Is he capricious? Does he just do it on a whim? Or is there some kind of legal and forensic basis upon which if God is a just God, uh, then how is he justly able to forgive sin? There has to be something that happened to merit that forgiveness. And we would answer as believers in the scripture, the totality of scripture, not just the Old Testament, that the, uh, the way that God forgives sin is if a sacrifice for sin that is acceptable has been made on behalf of the person being forgiven. Now, we can't make that payment because the problem we run into is it's not sin against us necessarily, but sin against God. God is an eternal and infinite being. So a sin that goes against God is eternal and infinite in its nature. That and therein lies the problem. Because we have an eternal sin problem with God. And that's our problem. He, we don't have a problem with him in that he did something. He's holy and without sin. He's eternally holy, eternally perfect, eternally pure. Uh, then, then we have this issue because if somebody cannot pay the penalty for that sin on our behalf, then we are left to pay for it. Well, how does a mortal person pay for something that is eternal? That is a good question. And the scripture answers that question and says that there is not just this life, there is a life afterwards. And if you want to receive life, like eternal life, as opposed to eternal death, then you're going to have to have an eternal payment made on your behalf. So if you are resurrected to life, or you are given a resurrected body, I should say, because not everybody is resurrected to life everlasting. 
then you are resurrected unto eternal death, which means that you will now pay the penalty for your sin. And because that penalty is eternal, then your payment is going to be eternal. That's the problem. Everybody's looking at suffering in this world. Everybody's looking at all the things that happen in this world, and they're just looking at it as this life is all that matters. Now, I agree this life is all that we know, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear that faith is really that God is looking for. It, it's, that's what he rewards. We have a whole chapter in the Bible dedicated to that. And uh, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. God gives us faith. By faith are you saved through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. And that of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And uh, by grace are you saved through faith. Again, all these things, it's all by faith. So God wants us to exercise faith in this world. It, it doesn't have to do with why is there evil? Why is there cancer? Why are criminals allowed to get away with things? Why do despots and evil men arise and, and uh, you know, oppress entire people groups and nations and use them for their own benefit and power? All those things. Why, why does that happen? Well, that's not the question. It's not the proper question. God doesn't have a moral obligation to stop those things. Uh, what we should do is we should look at all of those and say, okay, what should this drive me to do? Well, for the believer and, and even for the non-believer, it should drive us to make sure that we have answers to these what are called ultimate questions and that we can give a proper answer. And the proper answer is you need to be right with God immediately because you don't know when the cancer diagnosis is coming. You don't know when the freak car accident is coming. You don't know when you might be just yanked from your home, as Alexander Zoltzenitsyn uh, recounts for us in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, where uh, the Russian uh, soldiers would just yank people out of their homes and off the streets, and all of a sudden they'd be in interrogation in a false interrogation, accused of crimes they'd never committed, and then they were shoved in a train car and shipped off to Siberia to, to work in the gulag. And uh, many of them were there for decades, and some of them and many died in those gulags. And I'm not saying that any of those circumstances are right around the corner for you. I'm not, I'm not a prophet or the son of the prophet to, to be able to say those things. But what is the takeaway? You have to be ready for any of those things at any time. And so to the, the mother who says, you know, she can't believe in God because she had a child who developed cancer when they were eight or 10 and ended up passing away by the time they were 14. And how could this awful thing happen? Well, if you are a God-fearing Christian, then you are going to train up your children from youth and from the very young ages before they can even read, but they can understand you and you're going to tell them of God who made the world and formed it. Uh, and you're going to tell them of the gospel, that God loves them. And because there's sin in the world, he sent a solution for sin in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What an incredible demonstration of love. You're going to tell them that thing. You're going to know that. You're going to tell that to your own spouse who may be an unbeliever. You're going to tell it to your family and your, your extended family members. You're going to tell that to your coworkers, to your neighbors. You're going to tell them these things so that, not so that you can be spared from the ills of this world. And keep in mind too, what's the end goal? We have now, we've really now taken everything 
and we have re-sculpted it to our own uh, our own paradigm, which we accept. And that paradigm, this this sense of normalcy and how we view the world, says that as long as I can live a full life by the way I define that, then I have succeeded. So therefore, if I can live to be 75 or 80 years or maybe even 90, and I can have relatively good health and I can die at 90, then it's okay. And I want the same for my children. Well, we have, we've put everything in the wrong box. It, it is, we're all going to die. We even use that verse as a part of our evangelism, do we not? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. Uh, well, we look at that first part and we accept death. Well, therein lies the problem because we have accepted that. We've just put our own little understanding around that and we try and put a box around that and say, okay, this is good. This is acceptable. Uh, this is morally good. It just is what it is and nothing can change. Well, we failed to define it theologically and that is the issue because sin is the problem. We don't actually want to live forever right now. I, I, I will say that. I, I don't. I don't want to live forever in this body, this body that is subject to ills and ailments and cancer and all these other things. I, I don't want that. I don't like the process of growing old and all the aches that come with that. And my body hurts so much more than it did you know, 10 years ago and so much more than it did 15 years ago and 20 years ago and you know, 30 years ago. And it's just going to get worse from everything that I hear. And so I want to encourage people uh, to think about these things biblically. There is an answer to life's tough questions, but the thing that we have to do is we have to run it through the entire paradigm and the entire grid of Scripture. So we started with Japheth, and uh, that was a very long introduction, almost an entire episode there. I apologize. Uh, but I think it's important that we discuss these things. So uh, that explains how the fringes of the world got to be where they are. And now in verse 6, we are going to dig in a little bit to the sons of Ham. I think what we'll do for sake of time is we'll just look at verse 6, and then we'll come back and actually dig into this a little bit more. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And what we have now is we, we discover this, that, uh, and, and what we want to do here as we discover and uh, discuss verse six is make this link back to the preceding chapter, which gives us the account of Noah's sin. And so remember when Noah got drunk and, you know, he had his vineyard that he planted and then he got drunk because of the fruit of that. And then he is, you know, he falls asleep naked it is Ham who discovers his father's nakedness. And then when Noah awakes and discovers what has been done, he pronounces, and it's God through him, this curse on Ham and it's on his son Canaan. And what we discover in verse six is that Canaan is the last born of Ham. Again, we have no reason uh, to understand this, except for explicit instance, instances in the scripture, which we've talked about before, where a, a birth order is given and then it is reversed. And then we're told that, that this happened. Uh, you know, you have Jacob and Esau, even though Esau was the firstborn, 
uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, even though Manasseh is the firstborn, uh, so forth, right? We have all of that happening, uh, and, and it's told to us in the scripture that it happened. Otherwise, the normal pattern, especially when we're given these big lists here in genealogies, is to put them in birth order. And so what we have here, because we haven't been told anything else, is we have the record of these four sons of Ham, and we're going to plumb them a little bit. Uh, and so we're going to discover, you know, what became of Cush, what became of Egypt, uh, what became of, uh, of Canaan. And, you know, we're going to understand all of those things. But what we discover is that Canaan, the one who is cursed, is actually the fourth son of Ham. So not all of Ham's descendants are cursed, but this one particular line. And those are going to be the ones that come up later on over and over and over again. And of course, we understand from this, this is where the nation of Israel is going to end up. We don't even have Israel yet, right? (laughs) We're not to that point in the scriptures. It's coming very soon in a couple of chapters where we get to meet Abraham, and we know that eventually he becomes Israel. And by the time we end up leaving the book of Genesis, his family, which is not a nation yet, is down in Egypt. You know, spoiler alert, but I think everybody knows how the book of Genesis ends. And then we go to the second book of the Pentateuch, which is Exodus, where they're now going to leave Egypt. And by the time we get to Exodus, some 430 years later, what do we discover? That large family that had moved down to Egypt during the famine has now grown into an entire nation. Okay, that's wonderful. And God says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and I'm going to lead you into the land that I swore to your fathers. And talking about Abraham and that land is called the land of, fill it in there, the land of Canaan. Ah, and he says, I'm going to have to drive these people out from before you. They're going to be your enemies. I don't want you to walk according to their ways. I don't want you to take up their idolatrous practices, their blasphemies, all these other things. I want you to be separate from them. Well, that's who we're talking about. (laughs) We're talking about the fourth son of Ham. Very, very important for us to understand how people got where they are in the world And the curse that is pronounced on Ham's fourth son, Canaan, how it comes to bear uh, with the people of Israel. And we see this curse going forward uh, as we now tie all of that together. So it's very fascinating. And of course, Egypt is going to come into play here. And Egypt is the second son of Ham. So uh, we'll leave it there just a little bit to whet your appetite. And then we'll kind of delve into that as we get into the next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.